0: When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan.
1: I've just reached a place where the willow don't bend. There's not much more to be said. It's the top of the end. I'm going. I'm going. I'm gone. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about "Going, Going, Gone" from 1974's Planet Waves is fellow Bobcat Jonathan Kieu. Hi, Jonathan.
0: Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Now, as we just talked about off air, this this is the kind of episode that I really live for. Because you pitched wanting to do Going, Going, Gone. And it's a song we haven't covered yet. And I love this song. I thought, okay, perfect. Right? And I knew there were some live versions. Uh, And I knew, you know, there's he did it on Budokan. And I'm like, okay, you know, this will probably be a relatively standard episode. Well, I'm going to use a phrase that my my dear friend and friend of the show, uh, Jason M.D. hates, which is I went down a rabbit hole uh, oh. on this song because there was way more... To this song than I ever would have guessed in terms of just how much material uh, Bob created for this single song but we'll talk about all of that momentarily but first I have to ask you is your first time on the show how did you become a fan of Bob in the first place
0: that's right yeah my first time on the show well I love that you asked this question and I enjoy listening to all the answers that from the from your other uh, participants because we all have our own our own stories I exactly. was a musical I was a musical kid I listened to a lot of records and a lot of radio growing up. And uh, and got more and more ambitious, you know. Starting with my, I'm sure my parents' records, and then the records my big brother was bringing home, um, and I just kind of devoured everything. Plus, you know, FM radio, and at a certain point, you know, striking out on my own, you know, I listened to the Beatles and classic rock, and um, you know, you get to be a teenager, you're exploring, you know, and somehow I 100% missed out on Bob Dylan. I know how you listen to FM radio. You know, for as many years as I did, and I really did not pick up on Bob Dylan, except for one song, which I hated. And I, I don't think I even knew it was Bob Dylan. In fact, I know I didn't know who it was, because as soon as I would hear this song, I, would, I, I couldn't take it. And that song, I'm, I'm so sorry to say, was Rainy Day Women. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because when you're eight or 11 years old, I see the song differently now. But when you're, I couldn't take it. So I had no idea who that even was. So the, you know, I get to be a teenager, start exploring music, and I was listening to lots of stuff. I mean, I just couldn't get enough. So I'm listening to different, different styles. I'd hear about something, Gregorian chant music from medieval times. Had to check it out. Um, Thelonious Monk. I mean, with a name like Thelonious Monk, you gotta go, like, who's who's that? (laughs) <laughs> um uh, and and i read a review uh tom waits the rain dogs album had just come out this is the the mid in 1980s tom waits as you probably know or uh, absolute original mm-hmm. he gets tom waits rain dogs album blew my mind so i'm listening to all this stuff so, somehow I, maybe i wasn't ready for bob dylan but in I, I was at a certain point you're ready right and then that's you know when the student is ready the master appears <laughs> so Rolling Stone runs a review, a uh, great record review of the new Bob Dylan album. And it sounds pretty cool because they're quoting some of the lyrics and they're giving it generally a positive review. And the lyrics are pretty good. Uh, lyrics like, um, like uh, uh, we weren't on the wrong side, sweetness, we were the wrong side. Like, well, that's pretty cool. That's a great lyric. I'm going to go get this new Bob Dylan record. So again, the family car. just got my driver's license. go to the mall get the cassette so I can play it in the car on the way home and it's Knocked Out Loaded, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, you know, it's so Knocked Out Loaded. Now here's, now I'm a big fan of Knocked Out Loaded and I'm fine with that as being my first Bob Dylan, you know, purchase, my first Bob Dylan album. I'm aware that not everyone feels strong about Knocked Out Loaded, but I want to give a little perspective real quick. When you're a young person buying LP records in the 1970s, in the 1980s, you're you're buying a product with a lot of faith because you've heard one song on the radio and you you're you're paying you know seven eight nine bucks for the record, and you hope there's at least a second song on <laughs> <laughs> right right so, i i live that. yeah absolutely you no know, so you know I, you're familiar with risk <laughs> so you you know on this knocked out loaded there's some great songs on there absolutely. there really are and i i'll, I'll, I'll we could have a whole episode. I'm sure you have talked to people about, you know, so, you know, as long as there's two or three songs that you like, you've got your money's worth. So, but here's the kicker. I, I, I'm a high school kid. I've got knocked out, loaded. The next day I go to my summer job. I'm pumping gas at a gas station. Guy pumping gas with me, a Vietnam vet who I knew was a Bob Dylan fan. I said, hey, man, I got the new Bob Dylan album. I show him the cassette. See, I got the new. he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, man. He goes, you like it? Oh, yeah, I like it. I know he's a big Bob Dylan fan. He goes, well, if you like that one, here, here, you can have this one. You can have it for free, my, you know, from me to you. Oh, it's another Bob Dylan cassette. It was Empire Burlesque. <laughs> yeah. He had it, like, what, in his pocket or something? Oh, well, he, I think he was trying to unload it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and again, and again, clearly, uh, Empire Burlesque is, you know, it's it is what it is. Where to go
1: but up, Jonathan?
0: (laughs) Right. But you know, here's here's my uh, you know, I think it's a valuable. Here, here, I've given this lots of thought. An artist of a certain caliber is going to rise above his environment. In this case, the very interesting production of Empire Burlesque. As a young guy, listening to that, man. There's some great songs under the under the synth drums. There's absolutely. there's some great lyrics, there's some great vocal performances, so I i i saw i saw through that. Not that, you know, I mean, I was an open-minded kid, I heard a lot of bad music, a lot of albums where you like, you like one song and the rest of the album is, is just not worth the money, right? So to have an even an album like Empire Burlesque, I could hear some great songs on there, because the, they exist. I could hear some great vocal performances, but that has nothing to do with me, in my opinion. It's like, hey man, if someone's an artist. They can they can shine through, you know the, the the most unfortunate circumstances, you know. So that that's my take on those two albums. But you're right. I had a lot of very cool Bob Dylan music after that first, you know, <laughs> round of those two cassette tapes, which I still own, by the way. I still have those two cassette tapes somewhere, packed up.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, we've as we've talked about over the years. There's a lot of great songs on those two records. Absolutely. It they don't hang together as records the way his other ones do. And as you say, a lot of the material is buried under some really dodgy production and stuff like that. But but the core the core stuff is still there. I mean, you know, any any other artist would if they wrote Brownsville Girl, they'd be like, That's I'm done. I'm good. You know, right. I wrote a masterpiece. And there yeah. it is buried on side two of Knock That Load. So but it's a right. funny thing to think that if you could get through Empire Burlesque and the 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 womping synth drums, then yeah. By the time you get the blood on the tracks, you're just like you know <laughs> zero to sixty,
0: right? And the the uh the the final note to this story is my I, my ticket, my first ticket, my first Bob Dylan concert, which I almost went to, um, but family circumstances came up at the last minute, I couldn't make it. It was uh, Dylan and the Dead. Oh wow, which is which is also. I mean, I really wish I could have gone because that would have been kind of cool. But again. Not most people agree that wasn't a high point for Dylan's touring career, but I wish I could have gone, just didn't work out.
1: Absolutely. Now have you have you you have you seen him you have seen him live?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. About you know, I probably see him once or twice a year since eighty eight. The summer of eighty eight was the first time I saw him. Oh, so, wow. you know, probably hey, you know, he keeps touring. It's funny because the first time I saw him, I thought, "Well, I better see him." And he's, he's—he's not a young guy anymore. And—and <laughs> and that was—and he was what, forty? Nineteen eighty-eight. He's about forty-seven <laughs> years old, right? But so I, you know, I had the right attitude. But um, yeah. So I've seen him, you know, quite a few times with with uh, with different dumb bands. Obviously, here's an interesting little twist, and we'll get back on topic. It's always interesting to see who opens for Bob Dylan nowadays. I don't believe he. Ever has opening acts anymore. But looking back, I feel like I've seen him with such an interesting variety of either openers or people who shared the bill with like Paul Simon or Carlos Santana. Um, but for, for fans who have seen a number of Bob Dylan shows over the years, in a way you can kind of mark the timeline. Like, oh yeah, that's when he was touring with, you know, the Brian Setzer Orchestra mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. whoever. Kind of an interesting perspective on, um, on the tours he's done.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of the bands that have opened for him, like, they've kind of come and gone, you know, like, they're not even a thing anymore, you know, right. like, he, there's Bob still chugging along, you know, <laughs> he's still on tour, he's still doing his thing. I think the last time I saw him live that had an opener was Mavis Staples. I think that was the last one I saw, but it's been, yeah, it's been a few shows since I've seen him with an opener at all. Yeah. When, but, so you almost went to the Dylan in the ditch. you said your first one was in, when was your first show, 88?
0: Yeah, I saw him in in Poplar Creek, the Poplar Creek Theater outside Chicago in 88. And interestingly, I was a young guy then, but I knew enough Bob Dylan history to know if you're seeing Bob Dylan on July 14th, and it was July 14th of 88, there's a chance that he might remember that July 14th is Woody Guthrie's birthday.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: I thought you know what? I mean I was still relatively new to the Bob Dylan world although I I'd, I'd done my homework, you know, and I was just just aware enough to think, "Oh man, maybe he'll play song to Woody and he did." Oh, did he? Oh, that's yeah. terrific. I thought, "Man, I'm no dummy, man. I knew he might play that song." <laughs> and, he, and he did. Yeah, and and uh and the opening band was the Alarm. Remember the Alarm?
1: The Alarm that like that's kind of what I was talking about. Like they're not a thing anymore. As far as I well, we know, they're not a thing but, anymore. Yeah, so. I,
0: don't, I don't know. I don't, like, I don't want to have a Spinal Tap moment where they're like they're on tour in America here <laughs> you and I are talking about them. Right? <laughs> remember in Spinal Tap when they
1: distinctly <laughs> yeah. said puppet show after right. the alarm. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Wow. For, okay.
1: For, for, Very cool. So I'm get. You saw him on the the most recent tour, the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've I've uh, about you know he. Obviously, he tours so much that you you know you know you can't go to a concert hall without seeing Bob Dylan sooner or later. So yeah, about once a year in over the past, geez, that's a lot of years, thirty years plus. Yeah, about once a year. That's you know, awesome. That's whenever he comes to my neighborhood, I mean, some literally one time he played across the street from the apartment I was living in, so I could you walk. Gotta, yeah, you got to I mean, see him then. Yeah. You know, that many steps, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it would be insulting not to go see him. He's made it that easy for you. I mean, for Pete's six. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. Well, that's fantastic. I love
1: that intro. I love that origin. I love the idea that this this guy that you're pumping gas for is has got the cassette in his car <laughs> and he's just waiting for some unsuspecting person right. to hand it off to, like it's a cursed object. You know, he's handed the curse off to. I don't want this here. Here you take it. <laughs>
0: you know, and and there's a there's a whole phenomenon of of Bob Dylan fans. I don't want to divide them into a, like a young fan versus an old fan, but this notion that there are people who lived album by album. And there are those of us who came at some other point in my mm-hmm. case, joining in, in the mid, you know, late eighties. And that gives me a certain perspective, which is, you know, my perspective, but that's different than someone who was disappointed by say Nashville skyline, mm-hmm. but then they got back on track with blood on the tracks or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a, a, that's their perspective whereas some of us came to the party a little bit later and for us it's all good it's like oh that's his you know that's his gospel period mm-hmm. that's his, mm-hmm. his, you know national skyland that's whatever the case might be and that gives us our own perspective um but that to me that's an interesting phenomenon that both perspectives are not only valid but really interesting uh, for instance down on in the groove down on the groove has some cool moments but I was one of the people who heard down the group, like, oh, man, I was hoping it would be even cooler. You know, he's got that cool album cover. He's sitting there in the spotlight with his guitar. I was like, oh, it's kind of a, you know, it didn't, even though there are moments on it that I liked, I remember at that moment, I was kind of bummed out. Like, oh, it wasn't what I was hoping for. Whereas someone else might have heard that. That might have been their first Bob Dylan album. And they're mm-hmm. going to have their own perspective on that.
1: Oh, yeah, we all have our periods where we're like, is this the is this the last stage? And And, and you know, we just get a little... Some people, as you say, they live through that with like the, the country stuff in the late sixties and self portrait and then like the religious the born again stuff is this it? is going to be nothing but religious records. I, I kind of went through that with the Sinatra stuff. I was like, is, is this it? Is this all? Is this is what it's going to be from now on is Sinatra covers. And they were like, no, no, no. <laughs> No, there's another you know we've got rough and rowdy ways in the in the chamber here, but but yeah, we all have that one moment of slight doubt of like, I oh, think is this sure. the final version? No, no, it's not okay, great, sure,
0: and, great and and you know the beautiful thing is that this phenomenon of different fans with different perspectives is is only exists the phenomenon only exists because the artist has been at it for so many decades, yeah right you know, so we can t- we can even have this conversation, which is you know, I'm grateful for, we're all grateful for, right.
1: Yeah, 60 years of producing music. It's ridiculous. It's just, it's completely absurd. So, oh, well, that, all right. That is awesome. So, all right. Let's, let's talk about going, going, gone. Um, as, as as I said, when you, when you pitched this one, I was excited to talk about it because I've always liked this song, uh, coming as it does, uh, it's track two on side one of, of planet waves. And after the kind of, you know, romantic, lighthearted frivolity of on a night like this, which we just covered not that long ago, bang, we're dropped into this very dark song and it's you know you're like whoa wait a minute is this the same guy and I quoted you know the the initial verse and then it continues I'm closing the book on the pages and the text and I don't really care what happens next I'm just going I'm going I'm gone I mean this is a guy who's at his absolute wit's end And it's just, again, and then, you know, not only lyrically is it so different than what we just heard, but musically, you've got Robbie Robertson, I'm guessing that's Robbie Robertson, playing that twing, you know, that really hard guitar sound, kind of punctuating every verse with this kind of, and it's like reverberating. So it's, Uh, it's incredibly powerful tune. So why, why did you want to talk about this?
0: Well, that's, you know, Planet Waves is, um i'll say underrated although that's not the best term but planet waves is not considered up there with what people consider as classics so to me it's an underdog of an album and i'm i'm always the fan of an underdog um so let's talk about planet waves for a minute if you don't mind and then sure. we can get into the real the nitty-gritty of this too planet waves is it, it it has a lot going for it it has uh obviously um and i want to i want to Put a scenario in your head. Imagine Planet Waves was never released. It was recorded, never released, right? And and uh maybe, you know, David Geffen at Asylum Records. This is the one record that Bob Dylan recorded for Asylum. Right. For, let's say hypothetically, it sat in a vault, someone didn't like it, didn't work out. And it comes out, you know, this coming February, whatever, in 2023, it comes out as a bootleg. And and if someone's skeptical, they're saying, well, you know, is it going to be a good album? I don't know. What do we know about the album? If someone told you, hey, man, Dylan recorded an album with the band, you'd mm-hmm. say, okay, you've got my attention. That, mm-hmm. that could be pretty cool. You know, he recorded with, you know, obviously a, a very sympathetic, you know, backing group that he's worked with before. You say, okay, well, that's, that sounds like a good start. I'd be interested in, in this bootleg you're talking about. It's got great production. I mean, just terrific uh, Rob uh, Fraboni, mm-hmm. the, the album, very experienced engineer, had worked with Clapton and the Beach Boys and Joe Cocker. Yeah, the, the assistant engineer, Nat Jeffrey, also had worked with those folks I just mentioned. Um, and I told you, hey, man, this new bootleg with a the band, there's songs about his wife, songs about his kids, songs where he references Minnesota, songs where he uh, he, he does the same song two different ways, which we know is is forever young. He's um, got a great solo acoustic tune to end the album, which he has a pretty great record of putting a solo acoustic number at the end that potentially either saves the album or really adds a nice touch, right? like Dark Eyes comes to mind. So if I sold this to you as, as a Bob Dylan bootleg that no one's ever heard before, with those circumstances, the band, and he's getting some personal songs where the lyrics are very personal to him, acoustic tunes, that'd be a pretty amazing bootleg right all of a sudden it wouldn't be this kind of underdog album that kind of overshadowed by blood on the tracks we'd all be pretty interested in this cool bob dylan album with the band right you know as oh, a as good a lord yeah now now the skeptical among us would say well is it your shirt's not overproduced no no synth drums nope no synth drums. <laughs> uh you know does it get into any christian stuff not there's anything wrong with that, but someone might be curious. Like, nope, no, no explicit Christian stuff. You know, uh, uh, you know, are, are the any uh, random guest musicians who show up who, who you know, they're on the tracks, but you don't really know what they're doing. Um, you know, like like Under the Red Sky comes to mind, where these people are on Under the Red Sky, but it's hard to tell if they're contributing anything. It's kind of disappointing, you know. Nope. This Bob Dylan bootleg series album coming out just him and the band rocking it. His voice sounds great. I think well, suddenly this album we looked at much differently, right? But what we have instead is an album that, yeah, it is overshadowed by Blood on the Tracks. It's overshadowed by the tour, which we can talk about as well. The, the poor album came out, the, this Tour 74 that, you, that your listeners may be aware of. Massive concert tour where Dylan and the band, you know, sold twelve. Well, had twelve million ticket requests for this tour, which was only going to last for forty shows, six hundred fifty-eight thousand tickets. But there are twelve million ticket requests. This poor album. How's it going to live up to that hype? Right. So <laughs> it, the album actually came out instead of coming out right before the tour, which would seem to make sense. It was recorded before the tour, but it actually came out a few weeks into the tour. tour began January 3rd of 1974 in Chicago. And the album came out, I want to say, a couple weeks later. Bottom line is it's an underdog album, right? That that has it has been overshadowed by a lot of things, including even just current events, you know, of 19, uh, 1973, um, politics, economics, and all the other great musicians out there making great records. If you look at the top, you know, the top Billboard songs from 1973, you know, he's competing with Stevie Wonder. He's competing with Paul McCartney, um, some extremely talented, you know, peers, Elton John, David Bowie. So, you know, poor Planet Waves, man. It's just a great kind of a country rock, folk rock kind of album. Um, and I love it. But, you know, it, it. I think it had an uphill battle, you know, and probably still does.
1: I mean, any record that's going to come before Blood on the Tracks is, yeah, is going to live in the shadow of, the, you know, that, that later record, uh, because it's, it. the other Blood on the Tracks is so towering. And I think for some people, as much as it's probably, you know, not advisable to read too much into any, his personal biography in any given record, it's the, on this record, there's such, there are so many songs of such pure, unadulterated devotion. Mm-hmm. And then to get the rug pulled out from, I mean, there's hints of other things, obviously, as you just talked about wedding song and this very song that we're here to talk about and dirge, certainly. But it feels like, again, if you want to, you know, if you want to pin the records as like, Oh, this is a, his autobiography in music form. It feels like this is his, this record is his last volley to kind of keep the marriage together before it all falls apart. You know, and, and so therefore it feels like it's of a piece like it's it's a, and again, I don't mean to insult Planet Waves this way, damn it with faint praise, but it's like a it's like a prologue to what we know is coming. Well, and that's not, that's not fair. on That's not fair to judge Planet Waves like that because it deserves to stand on its own. But I think that's how you tend to look at it in the greater context.
0: Yeah. Funny you should say that because, you know, uh, um, that uh, Clinton Halen's book about Dylan's recording sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is a is a neat resource and he makes reference to uh dylan recording I, i'm pretty sure it's him uh recording the uh the wedding song with the with the um buttons of his coat yeah. or whatever he's wearing banging against the guitar which is kind of audible on the blood on the tracks um album as well you know you can hear that on certain tracks and certain outtakes so so literally that <laughs> that is th- that whatever you want to call that, you know, moment when Dylan is allowing this kind of noisy sound to happen, closing the last song on Planet Waves is literally the same sound that you hear him doing on, you know, some of the blood on the tracks outtakes that, that classic, that classic button banging against the wood sound.
1: Mm -hmm. Supposedly somebody had pointed out to him that they could hear, I don't know if it was on a wedding song or a different song, that you could hear the buttons and they said, you know, Bob, you could hear your buttons hitting the thing. And he went oh, too bad and right. they kept walking, you know, <laughs> was like, yep. well, all right, that's the end of that. Uh, oh, Cause yeah, you're, you're not going to do better than the performance of wedding song that, that you, that you hear. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's kind of what it is, is that as great as these songs are, and again, there's a lot of great songs on planet waves and it, and it birthed one bona fide enduring classic in forever young. And that is, right. that's a song that's going to just live forever into the pantheon of of recorded yeah. popular music. I do think, I think that's what it is. It's like, you can sort of see, he's like trying really hard to, to, to sound ghouly romantic and Bob can do that very effectively. Uh, but then it all goes bad. It all goes bad. And then it's, a, you know, like, okay. Um, but then this, I mean, but, the, but then again, that's sort of ignoring a song like this, which does point to some serious problems. I mean, this is a guy the the narrator of this song is a guy. Really, I mean, he says, "I'm living on the edge," and he says, "I've been hanging on threads. I'm playing it straight. I've just got to cut loose before yeah. it gets late." I mean, this is a guy who is not in a good headspace, and you, it. you know, it's real. Again, it's an incredibly powerful vocal performance, and said him and Robertson seem to be in some simpatico
0: some yeah. uh, with it. this
1: tune. I mean, it's just it's it's very very, and it's catchy, you know, for such a kind of downbeat song. It's amazingly catchy, and this has always been one of my favorites off of Planet Waves.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a coincidence that he put it second on the album, right? That's you, you that between that and Tough Mama uh, as the third tune. I love that song too. Um, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's how you start an album. Not a shocker that he would start with on a night like this. It's a fun tune. It's upbeat for lots of reasons. That's that's a perfectly you know. If this is our selection of tunes. On a night like this is a great way to start the album and he chose to put going going gone second now here's a little bit of trivia for you of all the songs on the album forever young has been performed live the most you know by far 493 sure. times you know according to the interwebs out there number two most performed song from planet waves going going gone um which uh clocks in at 79 times mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. uh um 1976 and 1978 forever young he's been performing that from 1974 uh right through 2011 was the right. last time right so but interestingly going going, gone he has a certain uh confidence about it he's going to you know he, he played it live um i i have a feeling you and i are going to talk shortly about the different versions he's done mm-hmm. um including the live version on the Budokan record so i have an idea how about if i if we talk a little bit about the lyrics of the studio version, and then I'd love to hear what you found out about the lyrics, the alternative lyrics.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I'm glad we're definitely going to get into the the live versions of this because i didn't know that this was this was second that's kind of amazing that uh, i mean i know there's a lot of songs off planet waves that he's never done live so i guess it shouldn't be totally shocking uh but yeah he did this 79 times in a very concentrated period just between 76 and 78 it's funny never did it on the tour with the band yeah the record was new (laughs) you know bob loves to just be contrary uh, not do it with the band. When you think, you know, he's got the guy, he's got the the band with him right there. You want not do it, but no, 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 no. Um. Now the other, the, the next verse that I, that I, I haven't gotten to yet, which is probably my favorite, where he says, grandma said, boy, go and follow your heart and you'll be fine. At the end of the line, all that's gold doesn't shine. Now, by the way, he sings on the record, all that's gold doesn't shine on Bob Dylan. It says, all that's gold isn't meant to shine. Yeah, slight, slight difference. Right. Yeah. Don't you and your one true love ever part? I can't, I mean, I, I didn't do the research. I think, is this like the only time he ever mentions a grandmother? Yeah, in man. In any context? Yeah. He mentions right. his mom and his dad a lot, but I right. can't think of any of the times he's ever mentioned a grandmother.
0: Exactly. exactly. Now, you, know, you just touched on something that, I, I love that part of this that of this song. I'm calling it the bridge. In my mind, he does three verses. I'm calling grandma here, I'm calling this the bridge. And then he comes back and does a fourth verse at the end the this bridge the bridge of a song a lot can happen good or bad in the bridge of the song there they're dylan tunes where he gets the bridge um ring them bells is an example um and personally i don't i don't love where he takes the bridge melodically on ring them bells okay that's fine um that's just my my melodic sense on the other hand on this tune the bridge I already like the song. And to me, the bridge, it, it doesn't get any better. And, and I'll talk about some specifics about that in a minute. But I'm glad you picked up on the grandma reference, because what the heck? Who like, I, I, It is, as far as I know, the only time he's referenced his grandmother. And uh, and that adds a lot of charm to the song. Because as you noted, this is a dark tune. But, but here we are, you know, two thirds of the way through. And here's his grandma giving him a, you know, a pat on the back and a hug. And wow, that's a pretty sweet bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The way the music so, rises up, like you know, I, it's it builds and builds you, and builds. You got it. You got it. I was hoping you'd mention that. So I, I'm a musical guy. I, I teach guitar lessons. I teach drum lessons. Um, that's that's been my full time job. I teach a little piano, but I, I've essentially been a music teacher for a long time. And uh, so I love taking apart a part of song and talking about the chord progressions and you know what's going on in the tune and so if you bear with me for a second because i know i'm sure you have a lot of uh listeners who are musical people who who are going to relate to what i'm talking about here for a second the song is in the key of d minor but d minor is the relative key to f major and this song goes back and forth it has this darkness and it has this this these major chords that pop up quite a bit um and When he he gets to the bridge, this grandma part, the major chords start popping out, and that that changes everything. Rick Danko, I'm going to assume it's Rick Danko, comes in on a harmony vocal on the bridge, and I just love it so much. I mean, I'm a Rick Danko fan. I I love his voice so much. I'm going to assume that's Rick hitting that harmony note in the background, because why wouldn't it be Rick Danko, right? Hmm. But that note comes in, and... Man, if the bridge wasn't sweet enough already that, you know, I think he just nails it. Um, so as an aside, you know, he's referencing his family. The band, in, the individual musicians in the band made it very clear that they love their own families. They weren't rebelling against their families. They weren't trying to get it. They missed their families when they weren't home, right? Um, so I picture in my, in my imagination, I picture that Rick Danko is like, oh, man i have a grandma and my grandma's a pretty sweet woman and I, I i can't wait to come in on this verse and sing some harmony because i know what it's like to have a grandma who says hey follow your heart you know come back and say hi don't forget to write don't forget to call so in my mind rick danko is really channeling all the love he has for his family and he knows the other guys in the band love their families and so when he comes in singing right there I just think he nails that harmony so beautifully. And I think it's coming from the heart, you know.
1: There's a lot of reminiscing of his time in, in Minnesota on this record. He talks mm-hmm. about it. He mentions it even specifically, Twilight on the Frozen Lake. You know, I mean, there's a lot of that. It almost makes me wonder, like, did he go home and spend, you know, a good amount of time there? And, and sort of that all seeped into... Uh, you know, the lyrics when he got to this, this record, but yeah, I mean, and it's sort of funny is that this, the, I would agree with you. I mean, I don't know music at all. Uh, but I would agree that the, this is certainly like the bridge of the, of the tune is that this is, it's meant to, I mean, he said it's, as you say, the, the, it's a different, it's a different key and it's, it's upbeat versus the rest of the song. You don't have Robbie Robertson doing that stinging guitar thing, but it's also, it's, it's a, it's not a warning that the grandmother's giving him. It kind of is. It's meant to be kind of kindly advice. But then with the very next verse, the final verse, we sink back into oh, yeah. the, the desolation as if, and so it, it, to me, it gives the whole thing a real sort of almost sinister cast that grandma gave me the advice. And obviously I didn't follow it or it didn't work out because now here where I, here, you know, here's, here's where I am. You'll be well- fine at the end of the line. Well, that obviously didn't work out because now he's back on the road living on the edge and he's got a gut. You know, it's it all none of that work. Grandma gave you advice, but it it didn't (laughs) work.
0: Or or it's not the end of the line yet. Right. He's he's Mm. he's out there doing it. It's just, you know, it's not the end of the line. The the way I interpret grandma's advice, if you will, is follow your muse. You know, Mm. keep doing, you know, your one true love as much as we love to imagine that another human being is his one true love, if we imagine the muse is his one true love, then grandma's like, look, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's gonna work out okay. And so, yep, I gotta go back out in the road. I gotta go, I I gotta go, you know, make it happen, you know? Um, hey, so let's talk about the like lyric by lyric for a second, because I, I really, I don't wanna spend too much time talking because I wanna listen to you talk to me <laughs> about the, the rabbit hole that you went down that we talked about off air. Um, I've just reached a place where the willow don't bend, right? What do willow trees do? They bend. All of a sudden, the willow doesn't bend. So we're talking about being at odds with nature in some way. Um, the other thing that bends, no, you know, I, I think Dylan substitutes words, rivers bend, right? If he had said, i just reached a place where the river don't bend, mm. that would also be an interesting substitution. Um, the willow is... uh is a, a little more poetic, but in both cases, you know, we think of rivers bending. If the river doesn't bend, that also suggests something is not, is not right. Um, so I'm just wondering if he maybe started with a river bending and change it to willow, but maybe not. Okay, if I had to be nitpicky, <laughs> when a poet of his caliber says, there's not much more to be said, I'm kind of bummed out, like, dang it, Bob. You know, the mere mortals among us—we kind of did hope you had something, you know, poetic to say at that moment. Um, So uh, that I find that line, you know, a little bit troublesome. Like that, <laughs> oh, but if, you know, I'm just, you know, in Planet Waves, he says, you know, something there is about you. You know, I just can't put my finger on. Like, dang it, Bob, we were we were counting on you to put your finger on it, man. <laughs> the rest of us, you know so so there there are lines i mean i'm a big Bob Dylan fan but i also like looking at this stuff and, and trying to look at the creative process going into it um so that line bumps me out but it's the top of the end that's pretty cool right because mm-hmm. um what what you know it's a provocative line if there's one thing he knows how to do it's to it's to create It's it's to use language that pokes us a little bit. What's the top of the end? Well, we know what it means, but I never heard anyone say that before, but we know what it means, but you know, closing the book on the pages and the text. Um, I think the word text is there because he knows what he's gonna say. He's gonna say, I don't really care what happens next. Because pages and the text, to me, that's a little bit, a little bit redundant, mm-hmm. but he <laughs> but he really wants to say the next line. So what else are you gonna rhyme with with next? Right. right. <laughs> so I think tech is there, you know. Um hanging on threads. Typically we'd say hanging by a thread. So hanging on threads is a lot more interesting, or at least it's 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 not a total cliche. Playing it straight, gotta cut loose. Before it gets late, most of us would say before it's too late. Before it gets late. That's it's you know, okay. That's kind of cool. And then it gets to the the bridge, which Lyrically, the bridge is great. Melodically, it's great. The, the chords, um, if you're keeping track, the bridge introduces some G major chords, um, which, you know, and D major comes in at the very end of the bridge. So these nice major chords, that's, that's, that's why the bridge provokes a, a warm kind of reaction before it goes back to essentially being in the key of D minor. And then the last verse, walking the road, you know, he's been walking the road since, you know, walking down the line back in the, the early, you know, freebluing days, right? That song, "Walking Down the Line." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how many songs, you know, involve him, you know, walking, you know, through streets that are dead? I mean, <laughs> right. the, he's a walking guy; <laughs> he really is. You know, living on the edge. I've, uh, now I've just got to go before I get to the ledge. That's kind of a convenient rhyme, right? Before I get to the ledge, what does that mean? S- I-, I couldn't help. Well, probably I think it's just a convenient rhyme. But the ledge, nothing good happens on the ledge, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a negative word. Before I get to the ledge, well, people jump off of ledges. You know, that's that's about the only thing that happens on ledges. So it, I can't help but kind of think of it as, you know, someone who's troubled, that's who finds themselves on ledges. Later in the album, he talks about a painted, you were just a painted face um, on a trip down suicide, suicide with- road. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there he explicitly talks about suicide. Um, I'm just, you know, ledge could be just a convenient rhyme for edge, but it, it nothing positive happens there, like I said, you know. Okay, so that's my quick take on the studio lyrics, but please help us out and tell us what you learned as you did your deep well, dive.
1: I, I do want to say about this version, minus the grandma verse, this reads like a suicide note. The, the, You know, I'm closing the book. I'm hanging on threads. I, You know, like, it's like I don't care anymore. I don't care about anything anymore. It, re- it really has that reach to it. And the, the, by the way, the line I'm playing it straight. I know that Bob loves uh, variations of that line, and he's been doing that for fifty years. Of the idea of being like a straight shooter, okay. being following the line. Like I think about when I, you know, I hear playing it straight, and then I think of, you know, the fats in the fire, and the waters in the tank, and the whiskey's in the jar, and the money's in the bank. Like everything's kind of lined up the way it's supposed to be. You know, uh I live my life on the square. it's you know he's he's always sort of presenting himself as a sort of straight shooter and he's he's following the path he's supposed to be finding and he's being buffeted at all sides, but he himself stands resolute. That's something I think that he returns to a lot in in his uh in his songs, but anyway, so yes, as you mentioned, he does this on Bob Dylan at Boudacan the nineteen seventy nine yeah. live album. Now I will admit that is not a record. I return to very much uh I just do not find it to be terribly listenable. Uh there's some fun versions there, there's that flute version of <laughs> Mr. Tambourine Man and stuff. Um by the way, there is an outtake of this available on YouTube uh which is almost a cappella, which is very rare. I can't think of that many versions of of, of any Bob Dylan song where you, he's literally singing with no accompaniment, not even a, not even his own guitar. Wow. Um, Yeah. And it's it's incredibly stark, uh, of Mm. course, because, again, there's there's no accompaniment at all. And I wondered if he just is it just an isolated vocal that he recorded that was meant to have the band come in later and play under it or something. But you can find it on you can find it on YouTube. It's part of his official channel. And and it's very, very just unusual. I'm not usually (laughs) hearing Bob sing with nothing behind him for almost the entire length of the
0: song. According to Clinton Halen's recording sessions book, Dylan did an overdub of the complete vocal on, in the studio. And so what we hear is is a complete overdub and that there's an original track. And, and Halen, I guess he says he's heard the original and that it was totally fine and not sure why they felt the need to overdub a new vocal and go and go and go. But maybe what you're hearing is hey, that's that what it is. vocal. Um, okay. That's very what cool. For her
1: so, also, so, yeah. um So anyway, again, when I when I went and looked, I noticed if you listen to Budokan, the words are different. The words yeah. are very different because yeah. of that on on that Buddha and at Budokan, he sings, well, I've just reached a place, same line where I can't stay awake. I've got to <laughs> leave you, baby, before my heart will break. I'm going, I'm going, I'm gone. Come over here, baby, because I'm telling you this. You've got to believe it. You've got to give me one more kiss. Fix me one more drink, baby, and hold me one more time, but don't get too close to make me change my mind. Now, my mama always said something true: you got to follow your heart. And then this crazy tempo change kicks in, where it's almost like a you know, like a Paul McCartney song. We're like, wait a minute, this is is did we? You know, there's like this bump and grind kind of da, da da da. Yeah, you'll be fine at the end of the line all that's gold wasn't meant to shine just don't put your horse in front of your cart (laughs) to me that is the rare bad bob dylan line like that is (laughs) to me that line is just not good it just doesn't it you know but okay from boston to birmingham is a two-day ride but i've got to get going now because i'm so dissatisfied i mean the outside of like two lines it's an entirely redone song it's kind of it's amazing
0: i i have a theory um i feel like he's improvising the lyric i feel like he's confident enough Mm. and he likes he likes the song enough that um he feels it's going to be a cool performance no matter what i i just i feel like he's improvising which hey man good for him it's his show um but when you when you I'm not in love with the lyric. I don't think it's certainly not an improvement on the original. And when you get to a line like, uh, put your horse in front of the cart or whatever whatever it is, yeah, that to me, that's a kind of thing that you come up with on the spur of the moment. <laughs> you know what? It's his right. I mean, I I but but if I had to if I had to bet, yeah, I man, he's he's improvising a lot of those lyrics. I don't think he, he stayed up late the night before jotting down draft after draft and that's what he came up with. Um and hey, you know what? He put it on the album and he was satisfied with it. And, you know, he's moved on with his life. But I was kind of disappointed in, in those lyrics.
1: Well, again, the, the, the thing I find so amazing about this, and I'll get into it in a second, is that there were two other... I went and listened to some of the live versions on YouTube. And there's one from the Rolling Thunder tour. And then there's another one from, Bing, from Binghamton, New York in 1978. Each of those performances feature completely different lines, which means there are no less... Then f- almost four completely different sets of lyrics for wow. this song. Now that's not totally unique. Bob has done that, especially with like, say, tangled up in blue, where that's a song that kind of is, you know, even in the, up until like Mondo Scripto, he's still futzing with it. But that's a song that's been played live for 50 years now. As we talked about, this song got live outings across two years. That's it. That's yeah. it, and then he's he, he forgot he buried it, and it has never appeared on on any Bob show since. So you're talking a song that in the space of just two years, minus you know the 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 1974 where he recorded. It's so obviously he's been living with the song for like four or five years at this point. But even in that very tight space of time, he rewrote it almost top to bottom, which is to me very rare that you find a song this drastically reworked in such a short time frame. That's just and then for him to abandon it and it never appear again, never surface in 40 years of concerts, just seems unbelievable that he would want to spend that much time reworking yeah. it and then put it, put it away. And that's it. i am never going back to it. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. And, you know, put yourself in his shoes. I mean, I, as, as an artist, you know, a capital a artist, that's gotta be a hard, a hard road to go down, you know, um, th- th- i i'm I'm disappointed for him, you know here I am saying, well, I don't think those lyrics are so great, Well, he might not love them either, you know and and you know that's your job that's gotta you know for for the success he's had you know a public success financial success you know i I think he's out there doing the best he can and it, and what he does is fantastic, but I'm sure he has his own disappointments and um boy that's that's a tough job you know in life to 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 be living that kind of life and have, you know, people like me saying, well, Buddha con man, he was blah, 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 <laughs> you know? And, 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 but you know, I mean, that's, that's, I, I just, I feel for him, you know, cause clearly he believes in the melody. He believes in the chord changes. He believes in the chorus, you know, he, he believes mm-hmm. there's something there and and to search for it and have it not work out that you got to have some kind of thick artistic skin, you know, Oh,
1: good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so, yeah so the the line i want to get to the the one the lines from the the rolling thunder one is is i'm in love with you baby but you got to understand that you want to be free so let go of my hand i've been sleeping on the road with my head in the dust now i just got to go before it's all diamonds and rust diamonds and rust throwing a little nod over there to to joan papa said papa now it's papa Uh it's grandma then it was mama now it's papa (laughs)
0: <laughs> Papa said,
1: son, go follow your heart. You'll be fine at the end of the line. All that's gold wasn't meant to shine. Don't you and your lifelong dream ever part?
0: Okay. All right. Now. just
1: reached a place, but I can hardly, before I can hardly see, and I'll just be too long. So take it what you see now that 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 those don't even really make a lot of exact sense uh and i think i was translating them as best i could so i might be mishearing it a little bit but I, that to me reading these gives us some cream to what you're talking about i think some of it he is making up on the spot he has the basic framework yeah and he knows what rhyme he has to get to but other than that he's just sort of filling in as he goes which again it's like that's enormous confidence to be on stage that's in sick. front of thousands of people and i'll just make it up as i go like Wow, yeah. that's
0: some and, nice and, and, and you know what i I don't want to exactly walk back my previous comment but I would rather hear him do that for better or for worse um and and let me be a witness to that creative moment oh sure i, I, I hear that than um then hear someone who who wasn't taking that chance uh and and I applaud him for it um, oh
1: sure I mean so, because you like the original the originals on the record it's there forever right, you can always right. enjoy that but yeah why not why not I would love it. I would love to go to a concert. I, the, the couple of times I've been to a show of his where I know the where I know a song and then the lines are a little different. I'm like,
0: oh, gee, yeah. I'm hearing
1: something. I'm hearing right. I'm hearing brand new Bob Dylan lyrics played out in front of me. What a what an amazing gift that is for me to be here to hear.
0: And, and if if he put the time in and rewrote them, you know, on the tour bus or in a hotel room or something and and he's presenting them to us, well, that's cool. And if it's coming off the top of his head, well, that's cool too. So you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I think we all agreed. You know, the, you should respect the artistry that's going on there, even if it didn't work. Well, you know what? You know, there's always another show, right? Always until another, there's another show. Yeah. Until always, there's no more shows. Hey, let's talk. Let's talk about the band for a minute, because mm-hmm. um, the, the, on this tune, uh, on the whole album, but on this tune, to say they are sympathetic. Is, is really not even doing them justice. They, they're they fantastic. I mean, Robbie Robertson kind of dominates the song, but I, that, that's not the best word for it. It's, the song is a relatively short song, uh, three minutes and 26 seconds, if you're keeping track. Um, the first 16 seconds of the intro, okay. The last uh, 45 seconds, remember the song is only barely three and a half minutes long. The last 45 seconds, are Robbie Robertson playing us out with a great guitar solo? I'm okay with that, but you know it's it's worth noting that there's a there's a lot of great guitar playing on this song. Robbie Robertson in, in the liner notes he gets a um a special thank you in the liner notes to this. There's no you know actual producer given credit. Rob Fraboni is the engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nat Jeffrey is credited as the assistant engineer. Very very experienced guys. Although I just read Rob Fraboni was only 23 years old. Which? <laughs> Imagine I, that. I I think I read that correctly, but that twenty
1: three. But
0: it's our experience. I mean, it's it's he he he. Anyways, uh, the 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 band sounds so good. Oh my god! I mean, we're all Bob Dylan fans. I think in general we all agree the band is a terrific group and they get great sounds. But holy cow, man! Here's here's something that I've heard uh, as a way of describing the best ensembles. They mix themselves. They don't step in each other's toes. They mm-hmm. play in a way that supports the song. Now, I'm sure there was some mixing involved, right? But there are moments when, when you know, Garth Hudson comes in in a beautiful way on the organ. There are moments when, when uh, uh, I assume it's Richard Manuel on the piano, comes in and does some nice little touches. Uh, you know, Levon Helm, it, it, it doesn't get any better than Levon Helm drumming on, on anything he drums on. He makes everything you know, first class. Uh, So I I just want to make sure that we give them a spotlight for for one moment, not just in this song, but in the whole album. It just doesn't get better than having the band as your studio group, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, the band is its own thing, you know, and to have them essentially as your backing band. I mean, the, the album is not Bob Dylan and the band Planet Waves. It's Bob Dylan. So right. they are essentially his backing group, which is, you know, again, imagine having a, a group of that talent be your backing group. That's that's the level that you're playing at. And I think that, something like that as you're as the guys backing, you know, backing you up.
0: I think you can hear it in his vocal. I think he, the, throughout the, the song and but throughout the album, his vocal has this relaxed confidence that I think largely or partly comes from being is so in tune with these guys. I mean, going back to the sixties, of course the basement tapes, um, these guys are very comfortable with each other. So if Robbie Robertson wants to play out the tune, um, if Robbie Robertson potentially might've done some guitar overdubs, you know, he, it's not unheard of for Robbie Robertson to come back and later in the game to come back and overdub some other guitar parts. It wouldn't shock me if that happened, but maybe it didn't, I don't know. Um, Dylan is so comfortable with these guys. He really is. And I think you can hear it in his voice, 100%. You can hear it in his voice. It's a, the whole album is full of great vocal performances. And I give the band a lot of credit, and um, and then the engineers involved. Obviously, they must have made the studio a very hospitable place. What we haven't mentioned was the album was recorded in just a couple of days, mm-hmm. in, uh, in November of, of 73, with this massive tour hanging over their heads. Um, And I I think we'll get back to going, going, gone in a second. But I want to point out that the album doesn't sound like a a singer-songwriter who feels this pressure. It's a very, it's it's not a pressure-filled album. I'm not saying it's not dark. There's a dark, you know, there's a dark tone to it. But this is a guy, like I said, 12 million applications for tickets for the tour that's coming up in, in a couple months. I don't hear that pressure in Bob Dylan. I don't hear it in his voice, I don't hear it in the in the songwriting. Uh the the politics of nineteen seventy-three between Nixon and Watergate and Vietnam and, and the oil embargo, I don't hear that. I'm not saying he's Bob Dylan doesn't care about it, but I don't I hear a guy who despite the fact that he's in California, in LA, uh the the songs are reflecting back on on minnesota on his childhood um i think he knew in the lyrics he knew the guys in the band could totally relate to you know when he says uh rainy days on the great lakes or talking about frost in the window he knew his friends in the band could relate to those lyrics so despite oh and and like we mentioned it's his first album with asylum records he broke away from columbia you think he'd feel some pressure to like do some masterpiece to prove to Columbia, you suckers, man, you should have, whatever. Whatever they weren't doing, giving them enough money or whatever. Nope. Nope. He just makes a very solid, kind of economical, punchy, cool album. And some of the songs he took on tour with him, like uh, Tough Mama, Forever Young. Uh, and some of the songs have never seen the stage, you know. But that's a very interesting dynamic that all these personal um you know um the stuff with columbia records uh the stuff you know with david geffen as your new you know i don't want to say boss but you know you now now you're part of david geffen's team i don't hear any of that i hear a guy who is happily ensconced in the studio with some really great friends and great musicians and just makes a very cool rock and roll record
1: it says it right there on the uh, the sleeve: cast iron songs and torch ballads.
0: <laughs> well, you know? What does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? Yeah,
1: cast iron. You know, I mean, give a, a feeling of permanence, a feeling of solidity. You know, like they're made of steel, and they 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 kind of are. You know, they they have that sort of. Uh, he's talked about that sort of mathematical equation that he's got. That he says it has a layer that that no one can ever hear, but that's there. And uh, yeah, I think there is. He sounds confident, despite again a, a, the song like this, where I, again I, it feels like it sounds like a suicide note. In some ways, there's a confidence to the vocal performances in every song that puts that across, like what you're talking about.
0: So going, going, gone. You know, I, I think of it as a uh, a baseball reference, right? Announcer: Someone hits a home run. It's going, going, <laughs> it's going. It's a, it's a going. positive thing, but not in this case. So is is he gone? Um, is he gone from Columbia Records? Is he gone from his marriage? Is he gone from uh, Minneapolis? Because he's he's certainly reminiscing about, or Minnesota, I should say. He's certainly reminiscing about, you know, Minnesota in his childhood. Is he gone from the U.S.? I mean, it's a, a weird time in the U.S. I can only imagine that that between, you know, the, the political stuff going on, um, you know, or is it all of it? Is, is it, you know, hopefully not a suicide thing but when he's talking about he's done he's he's it's he's gone you know how many things maybe it's all those things that i just listed oh i'd like to to get your take on something rob Mm -hmm. the the message he's sending here versus many years later things have changed i used to care but things have changed and you know you know he says um i don't really care what happens next is, it, is he communicating the same thing? Are the songs cut from the same cloth, you think?
1: I think for Things Have Changed, he is putting on... He's a character in that song. He is squarely a character. And that is not... I mean, as much as any... I mean, we're all just guessing. But I, I, I always took that song as he is living in the skin of the character in the movie. And so that's the way that character feels. Not necessarily reflective of... Bob Dylan himself in 1999 or 2000 or whatever. I mean, again, I could be completely wrong. I don't believe, you know, I don't think Bob sings songs just to be like a dilettante or whatever. But I, I always just took that song as not necessarily indicative of a of a worldview in particular. Okay. The way I don't, at least with this one.
0: I when, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. When I, when I was reviewing the lyrics and I came to that one, I don't really care what happens next. That's the first thing that popped in my head. Like, well, to what extent is. Things have changed. Just an update with with a lot more colorful imagery, mm-hmm. but it just an update of this. So I appreciate your take on it.
1: Could be. So anyway, I have one more. There, I have one more set of lyrics to read because I sat from Binghamton, nineteen seventy eight. Because I sat. And listen to this version about 12 times to jot it all down. And damn it, I did the work. I'm going to relate it on the show. So (laughs) we're going to do it. So, uh, so these are the lyrics from the 1978 version, right? So we've got, I've just reached a place where I'm feeling kind of low. I don't want to be here, but I got no place to go. I trusted you, girl, trusted you with my heart. Now it's time to settle up. Now it's time to part. I've been hanging around you too long. You treated me just like a clown. You don't have to do nothing. Except, and I couldn't quite make this line out. It was something, except a good man's reputation now. I couldn't quite make that out. Now, my mama always said something true. You got to follow your heart. And then the tempo change kicks in like on Budokan. You'll be fine at the end of the line. All that's gold wasn't meant to shine. Just don't put your horse in front of your cart. So there, he kept it there. Fix me one more drink, baby, and hold me one more time. But don't get too close to make me change my mind. I find it very instructive that in every single iteration of this song, he kept the mama said this or mom like that concept is in every version. He knew that was mm-hmm. gold. Not yeah. to borrow the word from the very first, but he knew yeah. that was the, he knew that was the killer, you know, bridge and therefore it's been retained in every single iteration of the song.
0: So in that version, clearly he's directing it towards a female persona, you know, again and again, as opposed to the studio version where he's every, literally every uh, verse starts with I, I, I. So it's very interesting that, you know, that particular rewrite.
1: Um, and uh, covers wise, there's there's a bunch of covers of this. Jerry Garcia did one. Uh, the one I really want to mention is friend of the show uh, and all around lovely person. Emma Swift covers it on her uh, Blonde on the Tracks record. She does <laughs> a beautiful version. You can find that on, on YouTube. Uh, she does a, a really, really beautiful version of it. And it is the version that we hear. It's again, despite all the lyric changes, the one on Bob com is the one you hear on the record. So even, mm-hmm. if, even after all those versions, he decided when it came time to sort of copyright it, he went back to the one that ends up on the record. I think he realized that's probably lyrically the most sound version.
0: With, with the one little note that you mentioned where all that's gold doesn't shine, doesn't right? shine. Yep. That's is the it one little
1: shine versus doesn't shine. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's one little, yeah. Which, which also is a, well isn't meant to shine. Well, either way, what a great line, man. What mm-hmm. a great the, the to me, the my many of my favorite lines, it's not that I understand the line, it's that it 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 provokes me, right? It gets my imagination going and it means whatever I want it to mean at that moment. And and I'm grateful for that, you know, that, that use of language.
1: No, you mentioned uh, just as we're sort of wrapping up here, you mentioned teaching music. Uh have have any of your students Ever volunteered to play a Bob Dylan song for you without unprompted huh. or have you done that to have you ever played something for them so to to, huh. to to experiment the that to them? Funny,
0: funny you should mention that. I uh I I try not to inflict my taste in music mm. too much, but uh I have found uh and, and you guitar players out there might might uh recognize this. Uh, bar chords, the, the, you know, horrible bar chords where one finger stretches across all six strings and the other fingers have to do something, right? Well, lay, lady, lay is a great bar chord exercise. So you guitar players out there, if if you're struggling with bar chords, I feel your pain, I understand. Um, Or even if you're a perfectly advanced guitar player and, uh, and you, you know, maybe you're teaching someone how to play bar chords yourself, lay, lady, lay is a great bar chord exercise. So of the many things... I'd like to thank Bob Dylan for it's writing Lay, Lady, Lay with those four descending bar chords. Um, (laughs) I teach a lot of kids and and not only um, are, (laughs) are kids not really aware of Bob Dylan, but I can reach back to bands that to me Aren't that long ago? I've had kids who have never heard of Coldplay. I've had kids who have never heard of Green Day. I'm like, wait a minute! That
1: sure, I mean that's thirty years old at this point. I mean, sure, I, you know.
0: I, I mean- know. All I can tell you is these these poor pop and, and rock stars of the '90s and 2000s. <clears throat> they they probably would be somewhat disappointed to um to find that you know their kids. Kids don't know everything. <laughs> but mean, then, you know, kids can always surprise me too. You never know. And I teach yeah. a lot of adults. I teach a lot of adults who are very aware of these songs and say, oh, wow, I can practice Lay, Lady, Lay and get good at bar chords at the same time. Fantastic. That's great.
1: I mean, even think about like Smells Like Teen Spirit, You know, or no? Excuse me. never mind, is 30 uh-huh. years old. It's, th- right? it's a 30-year-old record. And I think, well, when I got into really heavily into music on my own taste in say 1982, would I be interested in a record made in 1952? can't blame him I understand well that's I'm glad that you know some people are still playing it or whatever uh, and it's you know I I love talking music with people because like as I said I know nothing about it so I love being able to learn a little bit about chord changes and the- I know what I can hear in my head but I can't uh, put it into words like you can so that's that's great you can sort of explain these things because I said I always wanted like yeah, I love this chorus. What's so great about? Why? Why is this chorus right. so awesome? And then you explain. Oh, okay. Yeah, the chord changes and it's moving. Perfect. It's up and so it's perfect.
0: You You've made it really clear. You know, I've listened to a whole bunch of of, of Pod Dylan podcasts, which I enjoy very much. And you've made it really clear that you um, a, appreciate hearing from musicians, and that uh, I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of your listeners who play instruments. It, it, it's it warms our hearts to hear you say that. You know, because you know a lot of us we've Practice. we've paid our dues, we've studied this stuff and have someone say, hey, I really appreciate hearing from you. Ah, it makes us feel so good.
1: Oh, I mean, I will quote uh, Paul Simon again. I I quote Paul Simon from his later with Bob Costa's appearance so much considering it's a 30-year-old TV show. But he said said a lot of things in an interview that I have quoted over the years. But another thing he said was he felt like to be even a competent musician, not great, not even good, competent, you have to know so much. And he always found that to be very impressive. And I feel the same way. Like to me, to just know how to do anything, like you just say, you can, you can teach guitar and piano. What was the other thing you said? you
0: teach? I I teach the drums,
1: drums, like the amount of stuff you have to know in your head to be able to do that is mind
0: boggling to me. It really is. Yeah. Well, well, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I know there's, all sorts of professionals who, you know, went to law school and medical school and, you know, we're all out there doing the best we can trying to contribute to society. Right.
1: (laughs) Ideally. Ideally. Yes. So, well, okay, Jonathan, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for reaching out. and wanting to be on the show and having this conversation with me. It was, it was a total blast. Before we sign off, I have to ask you our standard exit question, which is if there's any recording session in any form, that uh, mm. you, of bobs that you could sit in on, I'm guessing it might be planet waves, considering what you just were talking about but but well, I see the question anyway, what one would you want to sit in on
0: well I, I love the question, and of course you know it's easy to talk about planet waves because we're talking about it but uh I'll tell you what the i i you know the basement tapes obviously would be such a interesting, fascinating you know time to be a fly in the wall um the the time out of mind sessions where he and Daniel Lenoir really got into it. I would love to know what the issue was, you know, cuz I'm sure they both had very valid points and it's a terrific album, but I'd love to hear that. And uh, I'm going to throw a weird one out there. Nashville Skyline. And and I I enjoy that album a lot. The the musicianship is so tasteful on that album. I would love to to see those guys, you know, receive the Bob Dylan tune, maybe written out on paper on music stands, maybe just communicated through the Nashville communications system. And I would love to see those guys sit down and just bang out a tune from Nashville Skyline because um, the the level of musicianship and the craftsmanship that went into that album, I think is really terrific. So uh, let, let's go with Nashville Skyline. Why not?
1: That's a great answer. I mean, that story uh, from that Clinton Halen book, the recording sessions that uh, Kenny Buttrey has about how he created the drum pattern for Lazy Lady Lay, which was basically I, done as an FU to both Uh Bob and both Bob's Johnson and Dylan, because he was combining both their ideas. Neither one he liked and Uh made it. And it turned into the song. And I'm like, I can imagine watching that song get created in front of you like that is, is like watching an alchemist turn a base metal into gold. I mean, I just gotta be like, Oh my God, what did I just hear?
0: You know, you're talking about the cowbell part. Yeah. The cowbell
1: and the bongos. Yeah. Right. I love that
0: story. How funky. Right. So, so I, I know that might be the most, not the most dramatic recording session to, uh, to sit in on. Um, but why not? Let's go with Nashville Skyline.
1: And you get Johnny Cash too. So you know, bonus bonus for that. So, huh. well, uh, Jonathan, thank you again so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell people where they can find you around on the internet? Oh,
0: thank you for asking. I, uh, if you're, if you're an aspiring guitar player, if you want to learn how to play the guitar, I have a million videos on YouTube on how to play the guitar. So if you pull up YouTube and here's the name of my channel. It's it's my first initial and my last name. So J K E H E W one the digit one J K E H E W one. I've got about 500 videos on how to learn how to play the guitar. And if if 500 videos don't help you, then <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else I can do. But I have a I have a website too called uh, Song. Dash bike, www.song like S O N G and then a hyphen and then bike like a bicycle B-I-K-E. And uh song dash bike.com. There's a bunch of videos there and um different teaching materials. So if I can help you in any way, I'd be happy to help all your listeners out there.
1: All right, very cool. Well of course everybody you can find all the back episodes of this show on our website, finewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support Pod Dylan, just please go to patreon.com slash FW podcasts. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is if you name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Waki Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. Thanks so much for the support. So that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening. We will see you later. Bye. Alright, well, uh, we're taking a break for sure after this
0: one. I'm oh, going to another band a little while back right now called Clank Wave. But I, well, I just reached a place Well, I feel it kind of low. I don't mind being hella.